Now, last week, we began talking about how the truth can set us free from the power of sin. We talked about it in general. This week, we're going to talk about it specifically, about how the truth can set us free from something that has enslaved every single one of us at one time or another, and that is this right here, fear. Fear. And the reason it has enslaved every one of us is because no one is immune to struggling with fear. It's, we're just not. No one is. So in that sense, it's a universal language. It really is. You know, they say love is the universal language. Well, it is. And that just bring, makes your heart just grow warm, you know. But guess what else is a universal language? Fear. It's a universal language. Go, you can cross any culture, go into any home, go in anywhere in the world, and you can bring up the topic of fear, and it is a type of universal language. Here's the kicker. What is not universal? What is not universal is the freedom from fear that believers can experience because of our faith in the Lord Jesus Christ and our abiding in his word. Folks, we do not have to, we who are God's children do not need to be enslaved to the fear that enslaves the world. And fear is enslaving the world. Now, this is especially relevant because of what's going on in the world. Listen to all the, here's a short list of the things that can make your heart be filled with fear. You ready? Inflation. I could stop right there. <laughs> Supply chain shortages. I don't want to run out of toilet paper. <laughs> it makes me a little bit afraid. Threats to our democracy, rising health care costs, out of control immigration, political division and corruption, runaway debt. Shall I keep going? I will. Foreign policy concerns, climate activism, socialism, and of course, racial gaslighting and gender theory. There is a lot in our world that can strike fear in our hearts. And folks, that is just the tip of the iceberg about what is going on in culture that can strike fear into our hearts. I haven't even mentioned the rising anti-Christian hostility that is being manifested towards those of us who believe. Those of us who believe, who are biblical Christians, are now the enemy of everything progressive. Whether it be progressive politics or progressive Christianity, if you are a biblical Christian, you are the enemy. We are seen as a threat to where society is headed. And here's where the news gets even more difficult. Everything that I've mentioned so far doesn't take into consideration the personal trials and difficulties that can strike fear into our hearts as individuals. We all have to deal with financial concerns, health issues, family pressures, you know, issues related to our job. And this is just to name a few. And here's the kicker about fear. You know this. You can be set free. You might have had a season in your life where you went through a time of just great fear and God set you free and you're like, Phew. and there's nothing like walking in freedom, is there? There is nothing like walking in freedom, but here's the thing about fear. It can sneak up on you and take hold of you before you even know it hits you. What hits you? You know this. There have been times in my life, I'm not kidding, where fear has gripped my heart so quickly and so subtly that I didn't even recognize it until after it enslaved me. And it took somebody like my wife or somebody else to speak into my life and go, hey, something's wrong. And I'm like, no, no, it's not. <laughs> oh, maybe there is. <laughs> And I don't even realize it, but fear has gripped my heart. And every one of you are, that are here today or watching online can describe similar situations in your life. One day things are fine, one month things are fine, one year things are fine, only to find out the very next day you wake up and what happens? Fear has gripped your heart. Something has got a hold of your heart. But here's the good news. When Jesus said, you shall know the truth and the truth will set you free, one of the ways that the truth sets believers free is from the tyranny of fear that seeks to enslave those of us who believe. The fact is God doesn't want us controlled by fear. 
or enslaved to fear. He doesn't. He doesn't want us to be those type of people. This is exactly why we see in the Bible, time and time again, all throughout the Bible, the call to fear not. Don't be afraid. Now, two of the more well-known passages that you often hear when a sermon like this is preached are these. Joshua 1.9. Have I not commanded you, be strong and courageous, be not frightened, and do not be dismayed. Don't let your heart be troubled. For the Lord your God is with you. Say those last three words with me. Wherever you go, God is. And if God is there, you have no reason to be afraid. Isaiah 41.10 says this. Fear not, for I am with you. Again, do not be dismayed. Don't let your heart be troubled. Why? For I am your God. I will strengthen you. I will help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. But here's the deal, guys. Fear, the call to fear not, wasn't just for people like Joshua or for the Israelites. It's something that God wants all of his children to experience on a daily basis throughout their life. That we would have a peace that surpasses all understanding, guarding our hearts and guarding our minds at all times and in all ways. This is God's will. And that's, I find that incredibly, incredibly reassuring. Again, fear may be a universal language. What is not universal is the freedom that those of us who believe are offered in Christ. It's exactly why we see Christ saying things like this right here. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. It's mine. You're not going to find it in the world. As a matter of fact, the very next sentence says, not as the world gives do I give to you. The world will try to offer you a type of peace. It is not lasting. It's temporal and it's worthless. But there's a peace that comes from God. He offers it to you and to me. And he says, let your hearts, uh, let not your hearts be troubled Neither let them be, what does that word say? Afraid. Don't be afraid. I've got a peace, according to Philippians, that will guard your heart and mind at all times and in all ways. And a world, now the, here's why, that you want to know why this is so incredibly important? Listen, if you get nothing from my sermon, probably just get this. We are living in a world where fear often dominates the headlines, where fear, and here's the key, is often being used to manipulate and control how, control how people behave. And by the way, there are always, you'll always have people in your life, whether they be family members, people in your community, neighbors, friends, politicians, it doesn't matter who it is, there will always be people in your life who will try to use fear to manipulate you. And why this is so incredibly important, in a day and age where fear is being used to manipulate the masses, somebody's got to have clear thinking. Who are going to be the ones that have clear thinking? Those that aren't easily manipulated through fear. Who is that going to be? Christians. This has a radical implication for not just our personal life, but culture as well. If fear is the key way that people are being manipulated, the, the masses are being manipulated, or people in our own family are trying to do it to us individually, the way to break free from that manipulation is to have a heart that isn't manipulated by fear. Incredibly important, incredibly important is this topic. Now, as you might have guessed, the Bible has a lot to say about this issue of fear, but so does Jesus. So church, it's my honor to take us to the word of God today. We're going to be in Matthew chapter 6, beginning in verse 25, going through verse 34. Hear the word of God this morning. This is Jesus speaking. Therefore, I tell you, do not be anxious about your life what you will eat and what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. 
Now, this is important. This is the first question in a series of questions that he asks. Is not life more than food and body, your body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? And why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? Therefore do not be anxious, saying, What shall we eat? Or what shall we drink? Or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after these things, and your heavenly Father knows you need them, say that word with me, all. But seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. All these things will be added to you. Therefore, do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. Amen, church. I present to you the word of God this morning. Now, this passage is loaded with truth that can and will set believers free from the tyranny of fear. And the first truth that Jesus highlights is an important one. And it comes in the form of the question that I just read. Is life not more important than food and your body more important than clothing? Let me ask you a question this morning. What is of greater value, the car you drive or the gas that you put in it? It's a silly question because you, yeah, it is. It's kind of a silly question. Of course, the car is more important. Now, I got a 911 Porsche up there. I don't know if a lot of you are driving that, but unless you're a poor college student that has a car that's about to die, in that case, the, the gas might be more important, and more valuable than the car. But of course, the car is more valuable than the gas that we put into it. Let me ask you another question. What is of greater value, the toy that you get for your child or grandchild or the batteries that you put in that toy? Again, it's obvious. It's a silly question, right? It's so obvious we can laugh at it. This is the very point that Jesus is making. By the way, he's arguing in this passage from the greater at this point, the greater to the lesser. This is exactly what Jesus is doing. Here's what he's saying. Your life and your body are of greater value than the food and clothing needed to sustain it. And if God has graciously given you the gift of life and he's given you a body, won't he provide the lesser things? Won't he provide the lesser things? And the answer, of course, is of course he will. Yet sadly, it is the temporal, physical matters that often paralyze you and me, enslaves us through fear. It's amazing. We can look at world affairs and be struck with fear at what's going on and around the world and whatnot and inflation and all these big issues. But we can get enslaved to fear over simple things. Little things can enslave us to fear. Isn't it crazy? Simple, little and big things can enslave you. It doesn't matter what it is. If we're not careful, it can get us. Listen, folks. When you buy your child or grandchild a toy, are you going to be so careless as not to provide the batteries that are needed to run that toy? Of course not. And here's the point. Well, some of you might, but most of you wouldn't. <laughs> you know who I'm talking about. But here's the point. If you and I wouldn't do that, we would never give our kid a toy and say, now go, you got to go work for the batteries. No, 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 I'm going to provide the batteries too. If you and I wouldn't do that, why do we think God will do that? Of course he won't. He won't. See, folks, there's nothing worse than having batteries on your brain. 
right? Where you're worried about batteries, the batteries of life, the food, the clothing. You're worried about these things and you're consumed with them. We've all been there where we are, we've got batteries on the brain. Where am I going to get the food I need? Where am I going to get the clothing I need? Where am I going to get this? Where am I going to get that? God, what about this, that, and the other thing? The problem, of course, is that we live in a fallen world that is fixated on temporal, physical matters and gives very little thought to eternal, spiritual matters. That's the world that you and I live in. As believers, if we are not incredibly careful, we will get sucked into a way of thinking that imprison us, imprisons us to fear. And by the way, again, I'm going to go back to what I said. People that are imprisoned to fear are easily manipulated and controlled. Doesn't matter if it's coming from within the home or from within the halls of Washington or doesn't matter where it's coming from. Somebody in this generation has to be clear thinking, has to have hearts that are guarded by a peace that surpasses all understanding. This is what Philippians says, right? But in everything, through supplication, present your requests to the Lord and the peace of God that surpasses all understanding will guard your what? Not only your hearts, but your minds. It's terribly important that our hearts are guarded and our minds are guarded because those that, are easy manip- uh, those that succumb to fear are easily manipulated. Here's the deal. Psalm 139 says this, I praise you for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Let me ask you a question. Are the pants you're wearing right now fearfully and wonderfully made? <laughs> of course not. How about the shirts you're wearing? How about the food that you ate this morning for breakfast or the coffee you drank? Was that fearfully and wonderfully made? Of course it's not. But guess who is? You are and I am. We're fearfully and wonderfully made. And this is what Jesus is saying. If God who gives you life and a body that is fearfully and wonderfully made, will he'll give you the lesser things you need to sustain your body at all times and in all ways. He'll take care of you and me. It's incredible. Not only are you fearfully and wonderfully made, you are made in the image of God. The coffee you drank this morning, was it made in the image of God? Some of you think it is because you love coffee that much, but it wasn't. I got bad news for you, right? I see some of you shaking your heads, you coffee people. You're like, yeah, I want to get my coffee. But that's the point, you guys. Jesus is arguing from the greater to the lesser. You are the pinnacle of God's creation. Only you, not even angels, nothing else was made in the image of God. You were, you, you were fearfully and wonderfully made. Nothing else in the Bible is described in this way. If God gives you that, won't he take care of everything else? Now, this is where Jesus switches gears. He's been arguing from the greater to the lesser, right? Now he's going to argue from the lesser to the greater. He switches gears in this passage, and he uses two illustrations to do this. The first is this. Look at the birds of the air. They they neither sow, sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they. Are you more valuable than a bird? Is the person next to you more valuable than a bird? <laughs> You're like, let me, let, me, let me just double check over there and make sure. Yeah, birds, of course, are not nearly as valuable as the children of God. Yet birds who do not sow or reap or store things into barn are regularly and faithfully provided for by God. If God's going to feed a bird, he's going to feed you and me. If he's going to feed these little things down here, he's going to take care of you and me. This is exactly what Jesus is saying. If he takes care of lesser creatures, he's going to take care of the greater creatures, you and me. Now, if you've ever raised children, you have been pestered to get a dog. Do I hear an amen? How many of you, how many of you gave in and got your kids a dog? 
How many of you are strong and righteous and didn't do it? Okay, so you're, you're more righteous than the rest of us, right? But if you ever caved and got your kids a dog, let me ask you a question. If you ever got your kids a dog, your kids promised to feed that dog every day. Yes, they did. You know that. Question, did they feed the dog every day? Of course not. They're kids. They fed it for a day, maybe two. Some of you have better kids than others. They did a whole week. But then it died out. But what did you do? Did you cease to feed the dogs? Of course not. You're good and you're an adult. And so you stepped in and you took care and fed that dog. Here's the point. If you will faithfully feed that dog, will you not be a thousand times more faithful at providing food for the children who begged you to get that dog? Of course you will. That's the whole point. If you and I are faithful at feeding lesser creatures, we're going to take care of the children that begged us to get that creature. Even though that creature's digging holes. I have a dog. I got a two-year-old golden retriever. I got, my backyard looks like a minefield. It's like holes everywhere. Seriously. But you, you see the point. God is a far better parent than you and I could ever hope to be. If we take care of lesser creatures and, and honor the, those that are of greater value, we're gonna do, God's going to do it a thousand times more than us. Jesus, at this point, making this point, really drives home the point when he says this. And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to the span of his life? The point, of course, is you can't. Now, all of us in here, we know this verse and yet we don't live it. Because when fear grips our heart, there is something in us that says, okay, if I entertain this fear, it's gonna turn out good. I'm gonna entertain it. I'm gonna let it take residence in my home. And this is gonna be good for my life. Is, when fear grips your heart, is it ever good for your life? No. As a matter of fact, science has shown us that it's bad for your heart. But we didn't need science to do that because the Bible already tells us that. Anxiety in a man's heart weighs him down. Amen. Don't worry, it's happened to me, it's happened to me. Anxiety in a person's heart weighs him down. And you know what I'm talking about. You know what this verse is talking about. If your heart has ever been gripped by fear, you can't eat, you can't sleep, you're not yourself. And guess what? When you're not yourself, a Snickers bar won't fix it. Right? Remember the commercials that says, eat a Snicker bar, you're not yourself. Yeah, when fear has gripped your heart, a Snicker bar isn't going to help. But there is someone that can, and his name's Jesus. And he has a peace that he offers you that only comes from him. The world doesn't have it. The world can't offer it to you. It comes from him. It will guard your heart. It'll guard your mind. And it'll protect you in a world that is being manipulated by fear. Somebody's got to be clear thinking in this generation. It's either going to be those of us that are Christians or it's going to be nobody. <laughs> I mean, I suppose there are people out there that are clear thinking to some degree. But the clearest thinking people when it comes to the issue of fear should be Christians. We should. The world should look at us and go, not only do you seem to have a peace that is in your heart, you seem to have a peace that guards your mind. That you're not easily manipulated by those that are in your life, whether they be people in your house or people in Washington that are trying to manipulate you through fear. And you're going, yeah, that's right. Because I have a peace that the world doesn't, can offer. Now, the second illustration Jesus uses, again, arguing from the lesser to the greater, has to do with the lilies of the field. And why are you anxious about clothing? 
Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? Now, if you took my 90 minutes, my, my 90 minutes through the Bible course, we had 535 people in this here, packed in here. Um, I'm going to do it again May 21st, but here, a little Bible history, okay? So if you took the class, hopefully this will jog your memory. After the four, so 1400 BC, we enter what's called the 400-year period of the judges. Israel doesn't have a king. They had entered the promised land, and they just have a series of judges ruling over them. But at the end of the 400 years, right around 1,000 years before Christ comes, the, the Israelites look at the rest of the world, and they go, everyone else has a king. We want a king, too. And so God gives them a king, and that first king is Saul. And Saul reigned for about how long? 40 years. And then after he was done, King David came along, and David reigned for about 40 years. And then came David's son Solomon, and Solomon reigned for about 40 years. And that's where the kingdom divided. This will be new to some of you, but... Saul, after Solomon came a man by the name of Rehoboam, and the people said, ease up on the taxes. Solomon was taxing us so heavy. And, they, and, and Rehoboam says, no way, I'm not going to do it. And so the kingdom splits. Ten of the tribes stay up north, and that's, they, they retain the name Israel. And two of the tribes down south rename, t- retain the name Judah, because Judah, it was Judah and Benjamin. Judah was the bigger of the two tribes. So it's Judah and Israel. That's where the kingdom splits. But here's the point. It all happened over taxes because Solomon taxed the people so heavily. And that made Solomon, guess what? The richest of all the kings. He was the richest of all the kings, which led him to have a very opulent lifestyle. Yet according to Jesus, Solomon in all of his splendor was not as glorious as the lilies of the field. And you would agree with this. And I would too. At first glance, you'd go, no, I'd rather have the, all the gold, all the riches. That makes it more opulent than the lilies of the field. But if you've ever been out in a field full of lilies that just goes on and it's a gorgeous day, the slight breeze, and you're looking at all this, this, what do you do? You just marvel at it. You go, this is incredible. Look how beautiful this is. If God creates that type of beauty and sustains that type of beauty, this is Jesus' argument. If he takes care of the lilies of the field, won't he take care of you and me? Are we of not more value than the lilies of the field? Of course we are. It's such an obvious fact. You know what Jesus does? In this passage, he chides his disciples. Look what it says. So he's talking about the lilies of the field. And then right here at the end, he says, Oh, you of little faith. This is Jesus' way of saying, come on, guys. This isn't rocket surgery. (laughs) And yes, I said rocket surgery. Don't come up to me and try to correct me after the service. I, somebody, somebody said that once, a guy said it, he did it on purpose, and I, you know, I just, I found it so funny, so I used it, but I, I did it, I told you, I used it a couple weeks ago, and everyone was correcting me, and I'm like, no, 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 really, I did that on purpose. It's not rocket surgery. Jesus is saying, it's, it should be obvious to you. Look, at, look around at creation. If God is so faithful to care for lesser things, he'll care for you, and you, the chief pinnacle of all of his creation, 
Is your life not more important and more valuable than the food and clothing necessary to sustain it? Of course it is. Greater to lesser, lesser to greater. This is how Jesus is arguing. Now, at this point, Jesus highlights a related truth that, again, helps us even more set free from the tyranny and bondage of sin. And what is it? It is this right here. Therefore, do not be anxious, saying, what shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after all these things. Here's the kicker. And your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. Here's the deal, you guys. It would be humorous if it weren't so embarrassing to me personally, but so often when I pray, I approach God either as if he doesn't know what's going on in my life or the full extent of the needs that I have. I'm like, hey, God, we need to have a little talk here. I need to bring you up, on a, fill you in on a few things and bring you up to speed on what I need. Folks, God knows what I need and what you need far better than you know what you need. He does. Listen, when you were a child... Did you know the full extent of what you needed? Of course not in life. As a matter of fact, I just, I got up this morning, my, my wife was watching something on her phone and she goes, you got to watch this. And it was King Charles, his coronation. And uh, the, the princess, William's wife, was standing there with her son in front of him. And, it, you know, it's, everybody's in all of their regal apparel. It's just, it's the, the, the gravity of the moments there. But this little kid's just there and he's like, mm, 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 you know. Why? Why was he like that? He has no clue of the world that he just entered and what he's facing. He doesn't. He has no idea the full extent of his needs, but he knows that he's got parents that are going to take care of him. That's the point, you guys. You have no, you and I don't know what tomorrow holds. We have no clue. But we know that we have a heavenly father that's going to take care of us, right? And so in a sense, we should be like that little kid free. He was free from the tyranny of fear. He has no idea the world he's living in, but he knows that he's got parents that are going to take care of him, grandparents that are going to take care of him. The same goes for you and me. If our earthly parents did it, God will too. And see, here's the deal. You'll either believe this, you and I will either believe this or we won't. But you want to know the danger of you want to know what the alternative is when we don't believe God at his word? Here's the alternative right here. It's in the passage. Let's, let's look at our passage. For the Gentiles seek after these things. Here's the alternative. You can act like the world and be enslaved by the world and be easily manipulated by the world, by the people of this world that are going to use fear to try to, to get you to behave a certain way or do certain things. That's the alternative. And I don't know about you, but that alternative sounds horrible to me. And I hope it sounds horrible to you. As a believer, I want to spend my days serving God, laboring for that which is eternal, not chasing after earthly things my whole life. I don't want to spend my life chasing after batteries, worried about the batteries that I need to make it through life or the clothing. I don't want to worry about those things. I want to, I want to seek God and make a difference in this generation. By the way, this is exactly what our passage tells us to do, right? What does our passage tell us to do? Very next verse. But seek first the kingdom of God. God is saying, listen, I want to set you free from having batteries on the brain all the time to doing something more significant, seeking my kingdom and my righteousness and making an impact in this generation. I want to set you free to do that. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. Folks, we all know that a life well lived is a life well spent, right? A life well lived is a life well spent. Folks, there is no better way to spend your life than seeking the things of God, his kingdom, his righteousness. A, li a, a life wasted is a life spent worried about the batteries and things that you need to make it through this life. 
the clothing and the food. Do you want to waste your life and get to the end of your life? Worry about what the world worries about. Be enslaved to the fear that the world offers you. You'll get to the end of your life and go, what did I do? I wasted my time. The Apostle Paul says it this way, if then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your what? Minds on the things above. Because when your mind is set on the things above, your mind is going to be protected from the peace that comes above. And so when those in your life seek to manipulate you through fear, doesn't matter who it is, you're going to be sober-minded. You're going to have a protected heart, a protected mind, and you're going to go, your little tactics over here, whether they be people or whether it be the enemy himself, Satan, you're going to go, your fear tactics don't work here. Because I have a peace that surpasses all understanding that guards my heart and my mind, and it keeps me sober-minded, not only in my daily affairs, but as I look at the world and I process what's going on in the world, I have a peace that the world simply does not have. Now, the obvious question is, okay, if I go all in, if I really start seeking the things of God and I, and I set the worries of this world behind me, what then? The what then is right in our passage, folks. But seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and what? All. There's that word all again. All these things will be added to you. Listen, folks, the Bible is full of promises, the promises of God. And all of the promises of God give hope to the believer. But not, not all of the promises of God are nearly as practical and relevant as this promise right here to our daily lives. Think about what it is saying. God is saying, don't stress, don't be afraid, don't let your heart be dismayed. You just keep seeking me first. You keep your eyes on me and run like the wind. You keep pursuing me, and here's the deal. I'll take care of everything else. Folks, that's the greatest, that may be the greatest promise in the whole wide world. God's going to take care of your life if you just seek him first. He wants to set us free from the tyranny of fear. And he says, here's what I want you to do. Run like the wind. Pursue me. Seek me. Go all in. I'll take care of everything. Everything. I'll give you a really good example of this. When I first got saved, as a seven, right before my 17th birthday, I was a pure boy. I wasn't up until that point. But when I got saved, God changed my heart. And so I was pure in heart, in my mind, and everything. And... I didn't know who my wife was. I didn't know who she was going to be, but I started praying for her. Um, literally, it was just one of the things I was just like, Lord, you know who I need to marry, and here's what I want. And I prayed, and I prayed. I prayed for years. And um, I got saved at 17. I got married at 27. In that time, I just sought God. I did his work and I labored for him. And I go, Lord, I'm going to trust that you're going to provide what I need when I need it. And when you become a Christian, here's all the women in the world, right, men? But then you got to marry a Christian, right? Don't be yoked together with unbelievers. So that immediately goes to this. <laughs> but you don't want to just marry any Christian woman. You want to marry a Christian woman who's on fire for the Lord. And so it comes down to this. And of course, you've got to be attracted to her. And more importantly, she's got to be attracted to you. So it goes down to like that, <laughs> right? <laughs> if you ever met my wife, the greatest evidence that God exists is when a woman that beautiful marries a man like me. I'm not kidding. God, I sought him first. I was in seminary. I was, I, I, you know, I was getting older. And then here came this beautiful woman at the right time that God provided. That's what God does. You seek his kingdom first. It's not just the food, the clothing. It's everything. He will provide everything that you need. Whether it be in relationships or finances or whatever it is, just give your heart to the Lord and seek him above all things at all times and in all ways and say, God, I'm going to take Trust that you're going to take care of all of that stuff over there and watch what he will do. The question really comes down to this today, guys. Will we take him at his word? By the way, I'm going to finish with this. 
Several times in the Bible, Jesus fed the masses. He fed 4,000 people at once. Another time, he fed 5,000. What's interesting, in both of those circumstances, there was food left over. Now, question, did Jesus just order too much food? You know how it is when we order Chinese food, right? We always order too much, and then you're going, I got all these Chinese, I'm going to eat Chinese food the rest of the week, right? Did he just order too much food? Or did he have a purpose in it? And of course he had a purpose in it. One of the purposes was this, to tell the disciples everything, when you seek my kingdom and you're serving in my kingdom, I will provide everything that you need to minister to others. And here's the kicker. At the end of the day, when you've ministered to others with everything that I provided, there'll be enough left over for you. In abundance. In abundance. The most practical promise in all the Bible is finished. He finishes off this section with the most practical promise followed by the most practical advice. Here's how he finishes the passage. Therefore, do not be anxious about tomorrow for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. Jesus isn't saying don't think about the future or make plans for the future or prepare for the future. That's perfectly fine. He simply says don't be anxious about it. There's enough on your plate today that can enslave you Whatever you do, make sure that you don't get enslaved by what is going on today. And whatever you do, don't look to the future and let what may or may not happen enslave you. You got enough on your plate today that can enslave you. Don't bring the future into this. For everyone's sake, you don't even know what's going to happen tomorrow. So don't go there. It's not that you can't plan for it. Just don't let yourself go there because that will enslave you just like what is on your plate today will enslave you. You guys, it comes down to this. You are the pinnacle of God's creation. You are fearfully and wonderfully made. You are made in his image. He has given, he promises you and me to take care. He will take care of us. Let's believe him for that. And let's be a sober-minded people in a generation gripped with fear. Amen? Here's the simple question that I end with. What fears can you entrust to God today? 